Welcome, dear readers. You're listening to Time to Read, a Winnipeg Public Library podcast book club. We are recording today in the Idea Mill at Millennium Library. We would like to acknowledge we are on Treaty 1 territory, the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe, Cree, and Dakota, as well as the birthplace of the Métis Nation and the heart of the Métis homeland. Our drinking water comes from Shoal Lake 41st Nation in Treaty 3 territory. In this episode, we will be discussing Charcoal Joe by Walter Mosley. I'm moderately difficult Dennis. I normally work here at the Idea Mill, but it's still closed at present, so I've been working at the Henderson Library recently. Across the table from me is... Hi, I'm Kirsten Drymouth Worman. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know we were doing these. I didn't know either. <laughs> Just came to me. And uh, you can find me at the Harvey Smith Library. Across the table from me is... Hi, I'm Trevor Brain Tickler Lockhart. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you might find me at the uh, Louis Riel libraries most days, but today you find me here amongst my colleagues and friends. And across the table from me is... I'm uh, Sleepy Erica Ball, and I'm back at Fort Carey Library these days. A good book can carry me away from an ever-engined ordinary And you, dear readers, we couldn't do this without you. We love receiving your questions and comments because they add so much to our discussion. Let us know how you feel about the books we're reading by emailing us at wpl-podcast at winnipeg.ca or leaving a comment on our website, wpl-podcast.winnipeg.ca. Find out if your comments made it on air by subscribing to Time to Read on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, and other fine podcasting services. Be sure to stick around for our special segment, Nerd Words for Word Nerds. In a minute, Trevor is going to spoil everything by giving us a summary of this month's book. But first, Kirsten will give us a bio of the author. Walter Mosley. Uh, and I should say that I've taken this bio from a mixture of his Wikipedia page, encyclopedia.com, and some various interviews that I've heard and read. So Walter Ellis Mosley, born 1952, is an American novelist, most widely known for his crime and mystery novels. He was born in California. His mother was Jewish, ancestors immigrated from Russia, and his father was a African-American from Louisiana. His parents tried to marry in 1951, but uh, even though the union was legal in California where they were living, no one would give them a marriage license. He grew up in Watts and Pico Fairfax district of uh, Los Angeles. So he lived through the Watts um, riots in the 1960s and also the Rodney King riots of the 1990s. So it's really no surprise that he speaks so much in his books about racism and the inner city lives of African Americans. He was an only child. He graduated from Alexander Hamilton High School. Nice. I, to, I normally don't say where dun, people dun, graduated dun, dun, high school. Dun, 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 <laughs> that was sort of fun. Sorry. And uh, he describes his father as a deep thinker, a storyteller, a black Socrates. Um, his mother encouraged him to read European classics from uh, Dickens and Zola to Camus. He also read a lot of mysteries like uh, Raymond Chandler. And uh, so I think also there was then this blend of kind of suspense and philosophy within his books. He actually earned a political science degree. And then he was working on his doctorate in political theory when he left that and began working as a computer programmer in the 80s. So 
then while he was working for Mobile Oil as this computer programmer, he uh, read The Color Purple by Alice Walker and was inspired and decided to take a creative writing course at the City College in Harlem. So he only started writing when he was 34. And I guess he's a, I mean, he's a very prolific writer. He's written, I think, 60 books. And I think he writes every single day. And sometimes he puts out like two books a year. And he's written mysteries, Afrofuturist science fiction, as well as nonfiction politics. His first published book was Devil in a Blue Dress. So well done, 34. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then his first published book was then also made into a 1995 movie starring Denzel Washington. He talks about his desire of writing about black male heroes because he says hardly anybody in America has written about black male heroes. There are black male protagonists and black male supporting characters, but nobody else writes about black male heroes, which made me think about, what was that book that we read last summer, The Changeling? You're right. Mm-hmm. And, Victor and Lavalle. Victor Lavalle. And where we also talked about that, that it was, mm-hmm. there was a black hero in that book. And it, and we spoke of it being sort of a unique thing mm-hmm. to, to have that black hero. I remember nothing except the boiling water scene. Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's horrible. Well, you should go back and listen to our I podcast, yeah. uh, <laughs> Mr. Lockhart, <laughs> Brain Tickler. Um, <laughs> He has been very concerned about sort of the lack of diversity in all levels of sort of his work and especially publishing. So he established the publishing certificate program at the City University of New York to bring together book professionals and students from a wide range of racial and ethnic backgrounds and economic backgrounds too for courses, internships and job opportunities. Yeah, I mean, I could go on and on. He's a very fascinating character to read about. Very smart. And I was just listening to a podcast on my way here as well. One of my podcasts that I've been listening to lately, Pandemic Tales, I think it's called, where the uh, host is listening, is talking to a bunch of um, writers and uh, creative folks during the pandemic. And um, Walter Mosley was one of them. So super interesting person. That is Walter Mosley. Mm-hmm. Does he play an instrument? No. As I kept saying, he, he kind of sounded like the kid in this, the... Doctor, computer guy. Oh, Seymour. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, and like, and like Charcoal Joe a little bit then too, because of the well round. Like he's because he's really smart in a bunch of different areas and not just right. Like one specialty. I mean. Sorry, now I'm like kind of, but he did talk about why he called his father Black Socrates is and uh, is that he knows there are so many really brilliant folks in sort of the black community, the poor white communities, like all of mm-hmm. these communities that are economically disadvantaged, but they have lots of smart ideas, but they're, and they share it with maybe, you know, around the kitchen table or, or at the barbershop, but they don't actually have a venue to share it mm-hmm. in a broader sense. And so um, he learned so much from his father. So yeah. I think that that's why he He's maybe brings that, that in, yeah. you know, yeah. to his charcoal job. That was my succinct and short. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, and I I, I will uh, do a brief uh, synopsis for the novel Charcoal Joe. Life seems to be finally turning around for Ezekiel Rollins, or Easy Rollins, to his friends and enemies. He just opened his own PI agency with two other partners, and he has a plan to propose to his longtime girlfriend. What can possibly go wrong? An old pal from the past shows up and asks Easy to meet with a notorious gangster, Rufus Tyler, known on the street as Charcoal Joe. I'm not going to spoil why they call him that here. You'll have to read the book to find out, unless it comes out during our discussion. Anyway, Charcoal Joe has a request. 
Joe's friend's son, Seymour, a young, bright, top-of-his-class student at Stanford, was arrested for the murder of two white men. Seymour is as unlikely a suspect as anyone, but when you're found at the murder scene and you happen to be black in L.A. in 1968, there's a little hope for justice. So, Easy takes the case, and we're off with Easy on his latest adventure, meeting a cast of colorful and questionable characters, getting into and out of tight spots, all while getting a glimpse into Mosley's thoughts on race relations and inner-city culture in America in the 1960s and today. Yay. Nice. Yeah. Is that all just, like, from your head? It's... I just tickled my brain and, I know. and, and then out it came. You should probably explain the brain tickling yeah. thing. Sure, yeah, so before it gets too weird. Um, and it, it, isn't, it isn't my term. I, I think I heard one of the Winnipeg Jets who gets tested for COVID every day. I'm not sure which jet it was, but I want to give credit where credit's due. He calls the test the brain tickler because it's a, if anyone has not had it, I think three of us around the table has. It's a, a small little swab. It only takes about, I don't know, five or six seconds, but they go right up there. They go right up your nostril mm-hmm. uh, and it's sits there for a little while. It's a little uncomfortable, but nothing nothing to like complain seconds. about. Yeah, five yeah. seconds. Uh, but it just feels like they're just giving you the little, a little tickle. So that's that's mm. that's where it's from. Although you were saying, Kirsten, yours it, was more of a jab than a tickle. It felt like more of a jab because it surprised mm. me. I have no idea. Well, I was surprised too. Okay. But it was more... But My now, nurse now, was really nice. She gave me she like she gave me a Kleenex. She kind of described how I would feel. Oh. So I think maybe like Kirsten, you got it done like right at the beginning. Yeah, right? exactly. maybe they were still like learning yeah. how to do it. Yeah, you know, they, maybe the person you had hadn't done that many yet, That's and they were true. jabbing. And now they're tickling. That's right. Aww. <laughs> and since we're talking about the nickname you gave at the beginning of the podcast, one of the questions we asked when we were putting out questions on social media was, do you have a nickname? Because so many characters in this book are known primarily by their nicknames. Which is awesome. It's like every character. Yeah. <laughs> it's nonstop code names. And they're, yeah, their nicknames are so great. They're amazing. They say so much about the character in just one or two words, yeah. too, you know? Yeah. 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 But like I, like growing up, I didn't have any nicknames. The closest to it was when I was in high school and my basketball team was going to the provincials. We had a pep rally and they had to come up with a nickname for every player on the team. (laughs) And the best they could do for me was bear. Oh, Uh, Dennis, the bear. And it's like, it it was only ever used that one time. (laughs) It didn't stick. No, no, no nickname has ever stuck with me. And I, and when I think about my friends too, we don't have nicknames uh, that we call each other. Hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, my wife, it's, you know, sweetie, honey, like that. But yeah. uh, anybody have nicknames? No. No, the closest I got was when I was like a kid, because my dad loved, I love Lucy. So he called me Ricky Ricardo. <laughs> but that's just a play on my name. Yeah. Rather than a nickname. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if this counts as a nickname or not, but I don't even know when this started. But let's say 15 years ago, I was going to subscribe to the, uh, the season for Winnipeg uh, Symphony Orchestra, WSO. And I was doing that online. And you know when you fill in an online form, sometimes there's a drop-down menu that has a few titles that you might get called. And Master. the common ones are, are like, yeah, uh, like Mr., uh, Mrs., Ms. Doctor. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly, all these. But for some reason, I guess, whoever did their website had did not click that box to limit the, the uh, honorifics. So there was literally a list of about 30 titles you could choose. <laughs> everything from like rabbi to, uh, doc, well, doctor was there for sure, but like all these, really uh, mayor, mayor was mayor. one. So I looked at all of them and I thought, what, so what do I So I, can you guys guess what I became? 
What? Captain Trevor Lockett. Of course. <laughs> yeah, of course we should have guessed. I, I, I didn't want to go too high up the chain. I didn't want to go no. general because I'd be like, yeah. no way. But captain is ambiguous enough that it could be captain of what? Yeah. And so for the longest time, I would receive correspondence <laughs> addressed to Captain Trevor Lockhart. And I'll tell the WSO this. I kept renewing my subscription because... Because you liked it. Yeah. Just for that. And, and whenever I told people the story, sometimes they would start calling me Captain. Yeah. And, and one time when uh, my wife and I were on holiday in the Wisconsin Dells, uh, I actually bought a captain's hat. Ah. Uh, and the only reason I was allowed to is because Marla was in a really great mood. She was eating like a, a candied allowed apple. Allowed to Marla. You know? Yeah. And I was like, Marla, look at this, a captain's hat. And she's like, you should totally get it. <laughs> and, and I did. And I don't have it anymore. Oh. But for oh, that captain. little holiday, I wore a captain's hat. Like oh. an idiot. So, but, I like oh, it. Like an yeah. awesome idiot. The, the WSO got caught up to me, and now I'm Mr. Trevor Lockhart. Did they, like, ask you for proof, or did they just stop calling You're, you captain? I'll tell you what happened. Yeah, a couple <laughs> of years ago, I was ill, and I was in the hospital, and uh, we missed a concert. So uh, my wife called anymore. to try to see if we could get a refund, and then the person at WSO said, oh, it says Captain Trevor Lockhart. And she goes, no, he's not a captain. Oh, my <laughs> So that's why I lost my honorific. So if anyone from the WSO is listening and they want to upgrade me to captain again, I will uh, happily take it. We'll get him another captain's hat so that he looks the part when he goes to concerts. Um, Maybe maybe I I read too quickly, but... Why is charcoal Joe called charcoal? Like there's like charcoal. Oh. I, I know there's like reference I, well, to there was. Tr- he, when, when he when he's interrogating somebody or when he's intimidating somebody, he'll do a charcoal sketch of them. Yeah. And charcoal. And he turns and says, look at this. Is this a nice likeness of you? And you're like, I guess, because you're afraid. And then he then he beats you up or he um, um, or he sticks you in the, the, the river or is that, that's my, that was my take well, on it. Oh, okay. Well, my take on it was just that he liked to make charcoal drawings. That's, yeah. that's what and I sort of thought, but I didn't. It was just this little quirk to the character. Yeah. Like he's. Yes, he's a potentially dangerous individual with uh, people who do his bidding, and he's very mysterious, but he also has an artistic side. Because everyone was scared of him. Oh, yeah. 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 Except, was, well, except for maybe the other mobsters that showed up in the story. It was a little hard to tell. Cause, yeah. Because Joe kind of... You mean like Watercolor Pete? Yeah. <laughs> But Joe kind of underplayed his uh, influence. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, the police thought he was just a small-time gambler, Mm -hmm. uh, but he had more connections than that. But sometimes he seemed like maybe he wasn't so bad, but at other times it's like, oh, we got intimidating really fast, you know? I think it just made for a more complex character. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just a little bit of insight into him with even just that little bit of knowledge, yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's that's one thing I found, like, uh, about... The book and uh, other writings of his that I've read recently is just a lot of times you read a book and some of the side characters, they, they're not very well fleshed out, but a lot of Mosley's characters are very well fleshed out. They're not, even the thugs yeah. often have something that distinguishes them and gives them a bit of character. Uh, so there's a lot of characterization going on, which I thought was really good. I liked Fearless. I mean, everyone oh, liked Fearless. Fearless. <laughs> Fearless was awesome. But yeah. Well, you know, and uh, I liked also how they kind of introduced Charcoal Joe because there were, you know, you just hear little bits and pieces. Oh, I heard he did this. And you, and you get this image of him before he's ever introduced. Right. And it was a little bit, remind me of like Kurtz in Heart of Darkness, where you hear about him for mm-hmm. so long and then you finally meet him and so maybe he isn't as bad as everyone thinks but he's got this reputation out there and uh, Mm -hmm. so when you do finally meet him you're like oh this is the guy that you know Mm -hmm. for the first whatever 40 pages there there or maybe it isn't even that long but it just seems like there's a quite nice little lead up to when uh, easy goes and actually meets him yeah and then you find out even more about him in terms of 
but I mean, I won't say anything because that's a really big spoiler, but. What I, what I really liked uh, is later on towards the end of the book, like they've built up Charcoal Joe through this whole thing, right? And so you know this is a dangerous guy you got to be careful with. And towards the end when him and Easy are having this conversation about stuff and Easy's trying to make sure he's not in danger and Joe is kind of saying, well, I'm not going to mess with you. Right. Mm. And then he goes on to list all these reasons, that things he knows about Easy. Mm-hmm. It says, yeah, you're you're not someone I'm just going to mess with. Yeah. But at the same time, don't mess with me. Yeah. You know, and it. Uh, I, I was a big fan of pro wrestling back in the day. And one of the <laughs> things about pro wrestling is you have to make all the characters a legitimate threat. Right. Mm-hmm. If you if your big tough person is going and wrestling some nobody, it's not it doesn't impress anybody. But if you're going so when you're building someone up to fight the champion, they've got to beat down a bunch of people and do it in a convincing way to make them a, a realistic threat. And that's how you know your champion is a strong champion, right? Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing here. It's like you know easy and you've seen all these things he's doing, but at that moment when you're already so convinced that Charcoal Joe is this really dangerous person he acknowledges his respect for easy. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a really strong moment there. And there were a lot of good moments in this book. Well, I mean, and it being the 13th or 14th or whatever uh, in the series, as soon as you start reading, you get this idea that easy Rollins is a legend because everywhere he goes, people are like giving him haircuts for free (laughs) and cars for free. And every (laughs) character you meet, it's like, Oh, it was like he, I had saved his sister from a kidnapping ring four years ago. And it's like, what, who are you? Like, He's walking around like a living legend. Or, and, and he had ev- slept with everybody. Or he's, or he's already <laughs> slept with everybody or everybody's sister. And, and But everybody loves him and yeah. just like well, wants to make his life easy or, or is scared yeah, of him. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 And, that, and like you say, that's because it's the 14th book yeah. in the series. And but it also just added this like mystique, right? Where yeah. it's like, what's that story about? Yeah. Like, I, I have to admit, so interesting. I was a little nervous when mm-hmm. I started reading this book because I like we were going to ask a bit about, you know, series books and whether you normally start at the beginning or whatever. And I'm a person who really likes to start at the beginning of a series. And I did with this one. I I got the first book and then I got the second book in the series just so I could have some Mm. concept of the character. But, um, some, some series like I'm going to, I'm going to call out Robert Parker for this. I used to read the Spencer novels back in the day. And at the beginning, you know, he's a tough PI and he meets some characters and stuff happens and it was exciting. But by the time you get, you know, quite a ways into the series, Spencer was Superman. You know, mm. no one could ever jump him. Uh, he'd mm. never get caught by the bad guys. He always fought his way out. He was mm. he was untouchable. And I got really bored of it at that point. And at the beginning, when they were kind of building up all this stuff, and you know, his girlfriend goes off with a king, and uh, <laughs> I know he's, what he's got all these connections, <laughs> and, and his buddy Mouse, who at the beginning of the series was like this this street psychopath that you did not want to cross. Mm. Yeah, but and now, I didn't really now, have a sense of him. Yeah, yeah, I, except for how people described him, like oh. Yeah, yeah, because he's essentially an, an international psychopath now. Ah. But, um, you know, I, I was worried that he was going to fall into the same thing. And about yeah. a quarter of the way through the book, I was thinking, eh, I don't know if I really like this. But then it continues on and it's like, oh, no, he is still vulnerable. He's still uh, working stuff out. He's still got a lot of that character and yeah. stuff. And he didn't become a Superman uh, character, which I, I really don't like in detective fiction. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, but you can you can tell that he's been around yeah. and but but also because he also like you were talking about charcoal gray uh, charcoal gray charcoal Joe had lots of connections. Well, Easy had a ton of connections, yeah. like you were yeah. saying, getting yeah. all these free haircuts and everything, and it just felt like he knew where to go to get information. He knew, yeah, he knew the person that would have the information he yeah. needed and that person happened to owe him a favor often yeah. and yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah well you know and talking He's good at his job talking about it, uh jumping into a series uh partway through a couple of our listeners weighed in on facebook with their thoughts about whether uh reading a series in order is the way to go or if you can jump in so amir pulio uh writes it pains me not to read in order and also not to finish a series. And then they say, which is why Tales of the City was great, but aggravating. Nine <laughs> books. Yeah. Uh, I like to update that I am on book four now. Oh, wow. uh, and uh, I, I can get you the, that yes, collection. Uh, I like lent that. it to a friend, but as soon as she's done, I can get you. And <laughs> I'm, I'm, next yeah, I'm yeah. So, anyway, so that's uh, Amir's take on it. Uh, Eileen Gilbert says, it depends if each book contains its own story or if its purpose is to carry the bigger narrative forward. And then she has a very astute uh, distinction. She says, most mystery series are the former. A lot of fantasy series are the latter. Hmm. But I pose this question to you, Eileen. What about hybrids? What about, what about <laughs> stories that are self-contained stories, but there yeah. is an overarching narrative between over the books. Uh, I'm thinking about uh, Walter Mosley, the character changes, things happen, and or Michael Connelly, one of my faves, mm. uh, the Bosch books. Each one is individual, but things build on things. So where were, I mean, where where would those lie in Eileen's well, I mean, rubric? I, like, this is the only Easy Rollins mystery that I've read, mm-hmm. and I found it like I didn't find it confusing yeah. or it was super enjoyable. Yeah, yeah it was quite enjoyable. And this is the fourteenth, like yeah. you were yeah. saying. Yeah, because I figured some of the stuff is referencing probably are in other stories and some oh, of it just for made, sure. But that, I was okay with that. Yeah, me yeah. too. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Like I mean, yeah. there was a bit of. Uh, mm, so how how did Feather come into his life? Yeah. Like how yeah. did this thirteen year old girl? I mean, that some of that is then also explained, right? Um, yeah. A little bit, but uh, I, you know, it, you you can read it as a as a standalone oh i would say i, I think yeah. Like, yeah, absolutely yeah yeah it may also depend on the author like some authors are much better at providing backstory without hitting you over the head with it or, right. or dragging it down others not as good and yeah. uh walter mosley was pretty good I, mm-hmm. I won't say he's the best i've read at that but considering how good the writing was in other aspects i will forgive him <laughs> not being quite as smooth as certain and, other authors and 14 books is a lot of content it to try is. yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah Recap. Yeah. Um, Shun, Shundran79 on Instagram actually said, it pains me not to go in chronological order. Mm. I feel like I'm missing out on something good. Yeah. But um, To which I would say that uh, when reading series, I don't, like I do by publishing order, not okay. necessarily by chronological order. So like if, if uh, a prequel is writ- written, I don't read it before the, right. I go in the order that it's written. I agree fully. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's very smart. I think because I made that mistake when I read the Narnia series yeah, for the first exactly time. What I so I started with the magician's nephew, yeah, don't start with that. Uh, which kind of like you're introduced to Aslan in a kind of a weird offhand way. Mm-hmm. And then I read the line, the witch in the wardrobe and there's all these references. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's Aslan. And then when he shows up, I'm like, <laughs> Well, big deal. <laughs> uh, you know, and I was like, no, I yeah. should have read Wine, Witch, in the Wardrobe and then enjoyed that. But the publisher that. has numbered them. I like know, one, two, three. Like, I know. It's I, so always, bad. I always counsel library users to say, no, you want to start with Wine, yeah. Witch, and Wardrobe. Yeah. And then, yeah. But, yeah. That's just one sure. example. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. That's a good mm-hmm. point. I think the same thing with Star Wars. You should start the way that they yeah. came out. Don't don't go to the no. prequel. <laughs> you know what? There's a very interesting, people have very strong opinions of the order to watch Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
this is this is my order. You can agree with it or not. Episode four. Yep. Episode five. Mm-hmm. Then jump back. Episode one, two, and three. Interesting. Treat all of that as like a, a dream sequence prequel. Then number six, Return of the Jedi. Yes. And then the last three. Very hmm. interesting. I feel like have you not shared that? I probably have. Okay. Yeah. I, I, maybe I wasn't here that well, time. Because I, I don't remember hearing that. Uh, I apologize if our no, listeners no, have heard that already, but I, I stand again, by it. Maybe I just wasn't listening. Yeah. Because, you know, at the end of Emperor Strikes Back, Han is frozen. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the rebels are in, like, dire straits. Yeah. And then you're left there hanging. Yeah. And then you get to go back and see all the beginning and all yep. that business. And then the whole, you know, the thing that I I, it. annoys me uh, just about pop culture is I watched Empire Strikes Back with Audrey and, and the big reveal of Yoda it was mm. kind of like my big reveal to Aslan. She's like, well, that's Yoda. Yeah. I'm like, well, you're not supposed to know that's Yoda. <laughs> yeah. that's Yoda. But of course she yeah. just knows what Yoda looks like because he's just around everywhere. Yeah. yeah. You know? And so anyway, what are you going to do? Yeah. It's a little easier to have that first timer experience with books, I think, rather than movies, just because of the way they seep into the culture and you see the images everywhere. Yeah. I found when I was reading this book, I f- it almost felt like I was also hearing it, like the way he was writing. Yeah. It was like this sort of narration, narration, but also it, like I was watching some sort of noir kind of, you know, mm. the way yeah. he sort of described how the ladies, how the ladies <laughs> looked, or even yeah. just like the the offices, or I. Or, or yeah, or how someone walked into a room. Like I could totally mm. hear this. I did um, get a little bit tired of how sexy every single woman was. Yes, yes, <laughs> and how they all wanted want, him. Like, wow. like he had like what? I mean, it was a to do. Right? Like, like yeah, everybody was. was yeah. But when when your when your movie avatar is uh, Denzel Washington, <laughs> well, what are you gonna do? Yeah, see, I had Denzel Washington's voice in my. I didn't mm. watch the uh, movie with him in it. Uh, I tried to find it, but I, uh, yeah, I haven't. Seen wasn't able to, but uh, I just had Denzel Washington's voice in my head as Easy Rollins, yeah. which made it a lot mm. easier to follow along. Right? Yeah, yeah. I sort of reminded. But that, it's interesting you said, Kirsten, about the whole first-person narrative and describing how people look, because I think that is a hallmark of noir books, like even as far back as like uh, Raymond uh, Chandler, and, oh, okay. and that they they're very specific in you know talking about a person comes in the room and how they look, because these PIs are all about the detail right and and if they need to remember something for something future they'll they'll recognize but it does come across sometimes creepy like when a, when a woman <laughs> is described in full detail yeah and uh, the, even like the, the, but what's interesting about walter mosley i found is almost every character that he encounters part of the description is their skin tone yes yeah. Which is missing from a lot of the classic noir stuff because they're all white, yeah. you know, except yeah. for maybe like you know the unless the, they were the, super super white, yeah, or, or like the car super park pale. person who happens to be a black person or the yeah. or or whatever. But like yeah, it's so you so it's so interesting how that part of the uh, the description is so important to Easy's character, where this person you know the, their skin tone and color yeah. and uh, very very Race different was constantly present reference yes. yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah i made note of it too um which color of an overcooked bran muffin yeah or the even amazing, yeah. even in this she was maybe 40 with a face that would be beautiful 20 years after her death <laughs> her skin was black and flawless even when she wasn't talking her mouth seemed to be saying something elusive like i just yeah. i can yeah. hear this yeah. but yeah. that's interesting because i don't read a lot of mysteries or noir mm. or anything so um that because I totally noticed that he described everybody fully. And so that makes sense. Yeah, he's mm. a PI. He needs to kind of pay attention to those. Mm. Well, and also, like, when you're reading uh, most of the noir novels out there, if they don't tell you anything about the person's skin color, they're white. 
Yeah. And if yeah. they are not white, then they'll tell you, oh, this person was Chinese or this person was black mm-hmm. or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Whereas he's describing the primary characters in Walter Mosley's book are diverse because, yeah. you know, a white person mostly is white, whereas the black community there is a range of skin tones mm-hmm. and histories and mm-hmm. other things like that. And he's bringing that extra depth to it, mm-hmm. which is nice because that's, again, it's a part of the theme of his stories. Uh, and it makes sense to integrate that kind of thing. Into yeah, it. but it also like it reminds me of when you grow up white and sheltered and you have the privilege of not being faced with race issues like it's a problem. You know what I mean? And so it's the same in books. Like the fact that in most books it's not even talked about is a problem. Yeah. And the fact that it's so noticeable in this one is more about its lack elsewhere than about its presence. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I I made note of even when he does describe uh, white people, one person he was describing, um, he was thin and his white skin had a tinge of red brick to it. Like Mm -hmm. just, but even just that type of description was sort of interesting. And that it made me think of to this quarantine tapes that I uh, interviewed that I was listening to. He said he really doesn't like the word um, African American. Mm. And the interviewer was asking, Oh, why? And um, he said, because I mean, Africa's a continent. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and it just it's more genetic to, diversity in it, Africa. Than yes, between any other. Places it speaks to planet. our yeah. um, ignorance of um, African countries because mm-hmm. it's not like I mean we you know we say like he was saying like Polish American or mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. uh, German Canadian or white Canadian. Uh, yeah, but white. but we don't say you know European Caucasian, Canadian yeah. or you know. And we, it also Canadian. discounts anyone that's from Cuba or the yeah. or the Caribbean or any yeah. other part of the world yeah. that. You you know, yeah, it's, it's not darker. Africa, yeah. but it's dark, yeah. darker yeah. skin tones. Although I will say part of what I've read about that, and uh, I, you know, I think this plays partly into that, is like when people talk about something like Black Pride and they wonder, well, why is it Pride and skin tones? Well, it's partly because many people who were brought to North America as slaves, they don't necessarily have a history of where they're from. They've lost mm-hmm. their heritage because it was taken from them. So they can't identify as having come from Nairobi because they don't know that that's where their ancestors came from. It was taken away. So sometimes that's part of why, you know, you make a blanket term like black pride or black lives matter. Or African-American. Or African-American because we that history was stolen or taken away. Yeah, and the privilege of genealogy that they can yeah. trace back mm-hmm. four centuries to Ireland or whatever. Or and he's, he's, he spoke to that actually in this, in this interview. And so I think then he was sort of saying, so like, you know, slave American, you know, yeah. Yeah. like mm-hmm. that's, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah it's, really. it's, it's, so this is where we acknowledge that we are for white people. Again, we sitting around a table and discussing yes, race yes, issues. Exactly. And, uh, yeah. 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 Which also brings up something else we asked on our social media. Because Easy Rollins is a black detective living and working in a racist America, and the story has a lot of racially diverse characters and descriptions, and considering the events of very recent and contemporary and ongoing uh, with the Black Lives Matter movement, have we been reading more books that expose us to black, indigenous, pe- person of color uh, experiences and things like that? And uh, do we have books that maybe we would recommend on that front. I mean, I think that there are so many lists being shared right now. And so I know that there are lots of books that are, can't even buy some of them, like, you know, how to be anti-racist. You know, we can't even buy that anymore in stores, it seems. And this is also why I enjoyed reading this 
book mm-hmm. because it wasn't necessarily on any of these lists, mm-hmm. and yet it was so rich in terms of mm-hmm. how it spoke about all of these same you issues. You can't even go to a diner. Yeah. yeah. Without yeah. having the cops called on him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, and he he's just sort of explaining yeah. that as we well, this is just what we happened. Didn't pick it because yeah. of that. Like so I would no. say yeah. like in addition to any of the the lists being made by people in the communities, you know, minority communities that you might not be reading, ch- check out your favorite genre and see if there are any people of color well there will be people of color authors mm-hmm. there might not be many but read those or buy those mm-hmm. you know look for um asian authors or indigenous authors or black authors if you like fantasy look for them in fantasy because mm-hmm. there's amazing sci-fi centered in africa in the future so yeah yeah just go with what you're already interested in but yeah. diversify i was a big fan of the marvel series that they had on netflix uh, including luke cage which is uh, the main character is a black man with superpowers uh, just like the rest of the series and after i had watched the series i came across an article talking about how in that series one of the things that stood out from other marvel series is that a lot of characters in that book read books hmm. while in the show, like they would sit around the barbershop and they'd be reading books. And so they made a list of the different books and things that were referenced in Luke Cage. Mm-hmm. One of them was Walter Mosley, which was one of the reasons that it, he was oh. on my mind and why I had suggested it as a book for, for us to do. Oh, that's interesting. Um, but these were, you know, uh, a good selection of books. So I'm going to try to remember to put that in our show notes if I can find that article mm-hmm. again. Well, and I know for myself, I definitely had to check my own uh, bias and privilege when it came to noir books, because before reading Walter Mosley, if if I had to name, if you were like, name three or four noir authors, I would be naming white men, to be honest. Yeah. And uh, I went, I did a little digging, and I found a few, a couple of resources that have lists of, if you enjoy detective noir, there's a list of authors who are to use the term African-American mm-hmm. uh, mystery writers, but what, uh, which we can put up on the show notes, including Walter Mosley or like Chester Himes is considered the uh, sort of the father of noir. He wrote stories right at the same time as Ray, Ray Chandler, Raymond Chandler, yeah, yeah. but uh, not known as, as well. Uh, but the thing that I found interesting with this list, how so many uh, authors actually are, are women as well mm-hmm. who write in this genre, which I, when you think of noir, I don't necessarily think of that. So there's a list of, of African, American women authors who, spoiler, one may or may not be in my Tell Me About Another Book QA like, <laughs> series. Uh, so, but, so anyway, it's very interesting. I, I learned a lot by researching uh, noir mm-hmm. authors uh, and African-American authors. Well, and, nice. and that's why I also found it interesting when I was researching uh, Walter Mosley that he started this publishing house sort of school um, through the college in New York to make sure that we do hear more of these voices and they do get published because they're out there. I just shared on social media that uh, I just finished reading uh, the graphic novel version of Kindred by Octavia Butler, and it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I Since I joined this podcast, I now read like way more graphic novels yeah, for some too. reason. <laughs> but um, I'm yeah. diversified because of this. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it was really good, and I admit I haven't actually read kindred <laughs> so um now i'm definitely going to take that on as well when you were talking about the in the marvel comics and the lists of books and they really love to read and they were reading all the time i was noticing that too in this book as well i mean he even talks about
about how I love to read and mm-hmm. I love words and you can tell that. And there was a part where it describes him reading The Confessions of Nat Turner. Oh, yeah. William Styron. Yeah. And uh, and then he's sort of just reading it and then it sort of affects how he like is thinking about things thereafter. And um, yeah, I just thought that was that was interesting as well to sort of bring some of those um, titles into into a story that I don't know, you maybe don't necessarily always see in a mystery, in a murder yeah. mystery, you know? Yeah. I just read a book that had the most references to other books in, of anything that I ever read. It was, it was called Among Others by Joe Walton, and it's a fantasy type, magical realism fantasy. It was very good, but the main character is a, a young lady who reads constantly. And I think it was in this, it takes place in the seventies in Britain. So she's reading SF sci-fi, which was like new and all the rage. And she just like, she's just constantly reading that. And she's constantly writing because it's in a diary kind of form about what she's reading and about how it's making her think about different things. Mm -hmm. So you could have a whole and so actually, because of the, I, I started reading I, Claudius, because of in the, in the, the way she talks about it in that book. Right. So, yeah, which is also weird because there's uh, Octavia is a very prominent name in there. So it's always you because you just yeah. said Octavia yeah. and I was yeah. just thinking about Octavia Butler the other day. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of weird how everything comes together. <laughs> yeah. But anyway. I love it when characters in books also read books. Just like I like it when to read. characters on TV shows actually watch TV. You know? yeah. <laughs> it's it, real. Yeah, because yeah, I feel real? more connected to it. A lot of times you're watching a movie or a show and no one ever reads, no one ever watches TV. They're all just doing stuff all they the time. They also barely go to the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially or, in books. They never, they never, when did they go to the bathroom on this? Adventure? Or say goodbye when they're hanging up the phone. Yeah. They just drop the phone. That's right. Let's <laughs> just get this over. <laughs> so sometimes people talk about summer reads or beach reads or stuff like that. Do you guys ever pick books based on the season or? No, just mood. Yeah. And and it's funny because when I came up with that question, actually, you know, I hadn't actually read the book yet. So I was like, oh, it's a mystery. So, you know, quick, easy, like mystery read, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, oh, no. wait a minute. This is a little bit deeper than that. Um, yeah. And yet still very readable and enjoyable. And, you know, totally you can read it on a beach. But yeah. yeah. No, it's one of the things about genre fiction. It often gets pigeonholed as uh, a yeah. certain type of thing. But, you know, yeah. there are mysteries and romances and westerns and uh, other books that are generic mm-hmm. and there are some that have a lot of depth to them mm-hmm. and uh, you can pick a genre fiction and still have depth to it although I also mm-hmm. confess to liking really certain types of really generic genre yeah. stuff yeah. sometimes like, that's what you, want, what you want yeah like for mysteries yeah. I love the ones with a bad pun in the title (laughs) and it's some amateur who has no business trying to solve a crime who manages to solve the crime. And they're, they're like a, in a book club or they're crocheting. There's this crochet series. It's like by hook and by crook. And and it's like, I love that stuff. It's cheesy as heck. I can read. But but you know what you're getting and you love it. And it's just like comfort comfort, food and it's, yeah. Cozy mysteries. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. what that's called yeah. for me. I, like, I think for me, uh, it's not so much a genre that I get hung up on, but more like I become a completist. Like if I find an author mm-hmm. I like, I want to go back and read everything they've they've written. And, uh, and then I kind of just become obsessed. Hence, mm-hmm. Tales uh, of oh, the City, yeah. uh, all yeah. nine books. So but I find that the seasonal thing comes into play more for me for like movies. Like, which remember there was that time when we could go to movie theaters and we'd watch movies. Uh, like there were certain summer big movies, I feel mm-hmm. like summer movies or long series are like a winter thing. So that, 
that sort of is more how I mm. change with the season, but I don't mm. really tie it to my reading. Yeah. <laughs> so I have a theory. It's called reading is like eating. And it has many parts, and someday I will write them down. <laughs> but part of reading is like eating for me is that when it's time to get dinner ready, and you're like, "What do I feel like eating today?" That's how I treat reading. It's like, <laughs> "What do I? What am I going to need to eat next for mm. my brain?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. What haven't I done? So that's yeah. how I do it. So speaking of reading as a way of eating for your brain, <laughs> I think uh, unless anybody has some final comments on Charcoal Joe, we could. Trend. Is anyone going to read more? Of the series, I would really like to start from the beginning. Yeah, I think I'd well, like to read yeah. Devil in the. I I, the I, I yeah. did the same thing as Dennis. I got the first book, and then I just bought it on uh, an on, a popular online book <laughs> service, uh, and I donated it. I added it to the collection uh, because I don't think there were very many copies when I yeah. did. So if someone has my copy, I just want you to know that I was eating a banana, oh, and so that little mark at the beginning of chapter sixteen banana Trevor. and i know i try it's it's mostly gone but it's a very slight stain there's a little bit of a questionable stain not enough to withdraw it but banana uh and the other thing that's not maybe obvious from just reading this one is that the series actually starts right after world war ii hmm. in 1940 oh, wow. late 40s because yeah. he was a uh, world war ii oh, vet so, it spanned like 30 so years. I'm, I'm imagining over the 14 books it probably spans 20 plus years wow. and so you get to yeah, yeah so the, yeah, the second book in the series is several years after the first oh, one okay. and uh yeah so it's obviously he spaces them out so it's not like he unrealistically has an adventure every six months that has all yeah. this stuff i wonder if if he if he wrote that first one with the idea that it would be a series because i know that um i was reading that i mean uh wolves uh Wolseley. Mosley. <laughs> oh my gosh, my brain. Malter Wolseley. Malter Wolseley um, was very, very close to his, his father. And his father had a similar kind of life experience as Easy. Hmm. And coming back from the war and sort of in the war, sort of being treated like a hero. And then coming back to the States and being treated just like a second class citizen. And I. It sounds like that's yeah. Easy's experience as well, and yeah. so they're sort of mirroring, um, you know, his Easy and, and his father. There's yeah. a passage in one of the books, and I can't remember which one it is right now, but he, uh, there's this one French lady. Was that in this book? Oh yeah, or one of the previous ones, Asiet or something. Yeah, where uh, she liked black men because she had first met them oh, yes. as liberators yeah. yes. in World War II. That's right. So now we'll move on to the most awkwardly worded segment of our show. Can you tell me a book I would also like? Has anyone got any recommendations? Sure do. Yeah. I alluded to one earlier, but I can... Okay, well, uh, as I was mentioning, I found an interesting group of authors. The one I want to recommend, her name is Eleanor Taylor Bland. She has a series featuring an ex-cop, Marty McAllister. And Marty McAllister is the first African-American female detective to star in her own series. Uh, she's a former cop from Chicago, but she moves to the suburbs, this little place called Lincoln Prairie, Illinois, after the apparent suicide spoilers of her husband <laughs> and fellow police officer. Mm. So a book that readers might uh, like out of her series is called Fatal Remains. The library has it deals with the discovery of a skeleton that may or may not have been linked to the Underground Railroad. And then a series of mysterious happenings happen afterwards. Is it a ghost? Is it something else? Who's to say? <laughs> uh, 
That sounds also, amazing. Yeah. That sounds I, super I, also, it's something kind of fun to do if you want to go to the library catalog and just type in keyword noir. Hmm. There are a ton of books with noir. Everyone apparently has a noir. There's Toronto noir. Hmm. There's uh, there's the Twin Cities noir. I don't know how noir that noir is, but we'll see. You know, <laughs> um, But there's a series that our readers might like called San Francisco noir. And those that have read Tales of the City and may want to get more descriptions. I haven't read any of them, but I know there's two volumes of San Francisco noir. So I'm just throwing out that out there. Ah. It's just a little freebie. So, but my pick would be uh, the uh, Marty McAllister series by Eleanor Taylor Bland. Nice. I'm just going to go next because I don't have a book. I have a TV series mm-hmm. and it's Luther mm-hmm. from BBC One. Oh, yeah. uh, because for some reason, when uh, Easy was walking around, I kept picturing him as his Idris Elba. Oh, <laughs> and, um, and something about the way he like, his character is, you know, his his own methods, and he's he's his own legend, and everybody knows him. Reminded me of Luther, the character as well. Um, Luther is a cop, but he doesn't, you know, he's a rogue cop. He doesn't follow the rules, and he's always breaching protocol and using like semi illegal or illegal methods and uh, getting violent. But he has his own code of um, how far he'll go and he, you know, he refuses to kill even when his own life is on the line. So he's very moral in his own way, even though it's his, it is his own way. So uh, if that sounds good to you, it's an amazing, amazing series called Luther and it's on BBC One starring Idris Elba. Well, my, you might want to read this book if you like Charcoal Joe, is Thomas King's Dreadful Water series. And we know Thomas King from The Inconvenient Indian and Greengrass Running Water, love Thomas King. But he's written this uh, mystery series about uh, this Cherokee ex-cop turned photographer turned detective, Thump Dreadful Water. And I, I think there's three or four books in the series. I think I just read the last one too. Uh, I just read one, um, Obsidian. But again, it's okay. You know, you still get a sense of uh, who uh, Dreadful Water is and very similar to, because I'd read Obsidian first and uh, then uh, I read Charcoal Joe. And it's similar in that just some of his descriptions, just everyday descriptions, you just sort of realize, oh, I don't normally meet these types of characters in books that I read and it just mm-hmm. sort of brings into play again um, yeah sort of the uh, the the white whiteness yeah. of so many um, books I found it very enjoyable I like Thomas King's writing and like I said I don't read a lot of mysteries but it wasn't also very complicated for me like this the Charcoal Joe like that was like I felt complicated to me and there were like <laughs> lots of people and there were lots of people yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and Obsidian uh, it was there were still lots of people but I don't know I think I, I, I felt like I could also um, follow a little bit a little bit easier but so yeah that's the Dreadful Water Mysteries series by Thomas King just, just before we get your I just wanted to speak about all the characters in Charcoal Joel I, I love the part at the end when when Whisper says, I think I might need you guys Tuesday night. And then it was like, because like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. no questions you, asked. Yeah, like, like yeah. the yeah. other two partners have their own thing going on through the whole yeah. book. And you yeah. wonder, yeah. And, then, and then you finally get a little glimpse into what Whisper's been working on. You're like, yeah. what? Yeah. Like, like, this is, like, but anyway, that's There's all. There's a whole Sorry. other plot. Yeah. Yeah. There's like a whole exactly. story going on. There's a whole fan fiction thing you could write about <laughs> yeah. what Whisper's up to. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> 
So at the beginning of chapter 13 of Charcoal Joe, Easy reminisced about something his father told him when he was a child in the tiny town of New Iberia, Louisiana. And though it's not mentioned in the book, that's where Easy was born. I paused when I read it because it reminded me of another noir mystery series that's connected to New Iberia, the Dave Robichaux series by James Lee Burke. Hmm. Dave Robichaux starts out the series in the neon rain as a police detective in New Orleans, Louisiana, but in subsequent books in the series, he spends most of his time in New Iberia, uh, and so much so that the New Iberia travel and tourism page actually has a whole section on uh, James Lee Burke on it. Uh, like Easy, he's a veteran with a complicated and difficult past who makes a lot of ethically compromised choices in order to mete out some small measure of justice. Like Easy's friend Mouse, Dave's best friend Cletus is a violent and dangerous man whose story weaves in and out of Dave's life regularly. Both Robichaux and Rollins live in a world where even their friends are hard to trust and they're surrounded by racism, corruption, and injustice. Unlike Easy, Dave is white, so his interaction with the racial issues of his time and place play out differently, but the issues are a part and parcel of the world that they inhabit. And because I strongly prefer starting a series at the beginning, I'm recommending The Neon Rain, which mm -hmm. we do have at WPL. If you like movie adaptations, though, keep an eye out for In the Electric Mist, which features Tommy Lee Jones as Dave Robichaux and Jod Goodman, speaking of nicknames, as mm -hmm. Julie Babyfeet Balboni. Babyfeet? <laughs> John yeah. Goodman? John Goodman. I love him. Oh, I yeah. love John Goodman. Yeah, uh, it's an adaptation of the sixth book in the series, In the Electric Mist with the Confederate Dead. Mm -hmm. Ooh. Good recommendation. Mm -hmm. And now we will move on to Nerd Words for Word Nerds, everyone's favorite segment of the show, where each of our hosts boils down their most prevalent thoughts of the past month into one word. Who would like to go first? I'll go first. Mm -hmm. I have two words. One is the smart word. And one is the real word that I wanted to talk about that's been bugging me. So the smart word was from Among Others by Joe Walton, and it's bibliotropic or bibliotropic. And the quote is, bibliotropic, Hugh said, like sunflowers are heliotropic. They naturally turn towards the sun. We naturally turn towards the bookshop. Oh. And, uh, or the library. Because in our, our case, the library. Because I know a lot of uh, library folks who go to other places can't not check out the local library. Mm -hmm. So, um, okay. So that's my smart word to cover for my other word, which is but. Um, <laughs> B-U-T-T. B-U-T-T. Mm -hmm. So, but has been bothering me. Um, I read graphic novel interestingly enough, called Princess Princess Ever After by Katie O'Neill, which was really sweet. And I got uh, found her through the Tea Dragon Society, which is also really sweet. But anyway, it's about two princesses who go adventuring and they save a prince and they start calling him Princess Butthead or something like that. And I was reading it to Meredith and we could not not laugh every time I said butt or butthead. Mm -hmm. And so that was the word of the day for a while in my house. <laughs> and then I started to think about butt and butthead. And why, why is, why is head butt and butthead two, two different things? And can you ever butt butt somebody because of the different, the different things? So I had to look up butt. And so I looked up butt and Wikipedia or Wiktionary has a a very long article on uh, butt. Wow. <laughs> um, and I just, well, what, to answer the question is, it's two different butts. One 
is the comes from the end of a thing or the the bottom of a vessel or something like that and then butt and, of a gun or the butt of a gun but uh <laughs> cigarette when butt. you get into cigarette, cigarette butt. butt there's actually lots of kinds of butts and the verb to butt comes from a whole other etymology so Buttress. you could technically butt butt someone mm. yeah there's also a butt that is a unit of measurement similar to cask for uh, containing liquids. It's 126 wine gallons. That's a big butt. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's, a, yeah, there's a big butt. And there's pictures on Wiktionary if you want to find out all about that kind of butt. That was my like, deep dive. <laughs> so, can, <laughs> <to butt. laughs> so can a butt a butt a butt? Uh, yes, it can. Yes. It's one of those really weird English things. <laughs> Um, and and then there was something where how buttock is actually like half a butt. So, no. Yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, because buttocks Buttock. would be the two. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I never thought of it as a singular. Yeah. Well, you have a pair so, of pants to cover a pair of buttock. <laughs> it's a this, very strange word. And if this and all it's happens actually... in the desert, you could have it happen on a butte. Yes. <laughs> See? <laughs> it's actually very interesting how such a non-word word is super complicated. And also, if you are interested in language, um, I'm also reading right now a book called Lingo, which is um, a Swedish guy who speaks about a million languages, has about like a page and a half on a bunch of the languages of Europe and about like a weird things about each of them. So there's like 60 of them in the book, but it'll be like a page and a half where he talks about how, like a weird thing about that language or about a certain way that that language does describes things. And then he has at the end of each, he has words from that language that have made their way into English. And then a word from that language that English should have a word for, but yeah. doesn't. So I think that's why I was specifically quite interested in where funny little words come from. Bibliotropic. And butt. And butt. <laughs> sure. Well, uh, my word uh, this month is onward. Now, I came across this word a few years ago. Turns out that it's actually the motto of the city of Calgary. And that word stuck with me for a while. Um, just as an aside, Erica, don't answer this. Hmm. Does anyone know uh, Winnipeg's motto? One great city. <laughs> That's In the middle of... It used to the be, continent. It used to be unum cum virtut multorum, oh. one with the strength of many, but yeah. <laughs> that, <laughs> well, and the reason I said, Erica, don't answer this, I think you had this as your signature for a while on your emails. I did. Uh, which, that's right, unum cum virtute multorum, one with the strength of many, but Kirsten, you're not wrong. Thank you. Uh, because uh, for years and years, there was a sign on the edge of the city as you drove in called Welcome to Winnipeg, One Great City. And of course, John K. Sampson and the Weaker Thens have a song, One Great City. Who also has a song about his cat named Vertute. Oh. <laughs> oh. Anyway. So, but then, okay, if, about 10 years ago, they took down the One Great City mm -hmm. signs and they put up... Uh, well, do you know why it, was one, like, why it was One Great City? Yes. It's because when it was all amalgamated from the different communities into one city one mm -hmm. great city. one great city oh see i didn't know that which yeah. is also why one with the strength of many because yes. it was many communities into one. Oh. yeah i thought it was be well i guess those are both true uh but <laughs> thank you i guess thank you for validating us trevor <laughs> no no but what i'm saying is but i had a little different information which had nothing to do it doesn't contradict what you guys had <laughs> is that the sign was uh yellow and blue because it went up in 1990 the last time the bombers won the gray cup 
Oh, I didn't know before, that. like last year or whatever. But so it was up there for years and years. Ten years ago, they decided mm-hmm. they're going to put it down. So the city, uh, the mayor of the time, uh, put a survey out to see what should the new slogan be. Mm-hmm. And so these were the finalists, aside from Heart of the Continent, because that's what mm-hmm. it says now. Heart of the Country, City of Opportunity, Center of It All, Oh, in the classic Winnipeg, it was like, we don't need a slogan. Those were the top. Did they say just put up new signs? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but so anyway, just back to Onward. This is all saying, mm. like, it's sort of become a personal mantra of mine and embodies my belief that to be alive is to continually move forward and try not to dwell on past failings, trauma, bad blood. And I've seen it to come to p- into play at an institutional level over the past few weeks here at WPL, where we've begun to reintroduce and introduce new services like holds, pickups at every branch, new collection offerings like uh, grab bags that people can place on hold. And I just want to do a quick shout out to all the staff who were assigned to Real at the beginning of June. I was so impressed with everyone's attitude and flexibility. Some of the staff I hadn't met before or let alone worked with, but we just got it done. And from what I've heard at the other locations that first opened, it was a very similar story. And this, this past couple of days, I was talking to one of my part-timers who is now back uh, working, and she doesn't know my secret onward uh, mm-hmm. word, but she was telling me that she tells herself just to keep moving yeah. is, her, is her sort of word. And uh, so then I told her about onward, and I didn't realize that we both had this sort of thing that we keep telling. So, and also our customers, too, are adapting to our new system uh, as well, and we're getting many comments, mostly positive about the fact that we're open. And I just wanted to say something to our customers who primarily use the library as study space or access the public computers or idea mill printers or you just like to browse the collections. We haven't forgotten you. And like, like everyone else, the biggest priority is the safety of our community and the staff. And we're striving to give the best possible customer service while still respecting the public health guidelines from the province and interpreted by the city. And so I, I know there will become a day when we want to become more normal. And that day is coming. We just don't know when. And uh, uh, again, onward, you know, yeah, onward, yes. as long as say onward. 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 Yes. <laughs> Lovely. My nerd word is sort of, I'll just come afterwards because it's sort of related a little bit. Um, It actually does come from the book. It's not a word, it's a phrase. In for a penny, in for a pound. Mm -hmm. That uh, Easy talks about this older woman who gave free advice on the street to people and uh, he would spy on her trying to sort of, you know, glean her wisdom. And I just, I was like, I don't, I don't actually know what that means. In for a penny, in for a pound, like... So I did look it up on uh, cambridgedictionary.org. So yeah, once you've started something or are involved in it, you should complete the work, although it has become more difficult or complicated than you had expected. So it's actually from the 1600s. If one owed a penny, you might as well owe a pound because the penalties for non-payment are identical in severity. But it just made me also think about this time that we're in right now. And especially because so many people are talking about COVID fatigue or pandemic Mm -hmm. fatigue. And I think some of us are worried that, you know, we were all so good for those first four months. And now, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe there is some fatigue, but we, you know, we're in for a penny and for a pound, like we got to complete this work of keeping each other safe. And so even if you might feel like I just need to go in there and browse the library, mm-hmm. um, and you, uh, or any sort of restriction that, that that's maybe upon you, it is difficult. And it is really complicated right now. And it's, I think, more difficult and more complicated than we had all expected. Um, but we have to complete the work so that we can go forward 
and onward. Onward. (laughs) (laughs) See, it's catchy. (laughs) It is. My nerd word for this month is drawn directly from the story because my nerd word is easy. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) It was an easy choice. Easy can be defined as achieved without great effort or presenting few difficulties or free from worries or problems. As a nickname for Ezekiel Rollins, it has that wonderful quality of being the complete opposite of the lived experience of his life. (laughs) Easy is a very appealing word. It rolls off the tongue without difficulty, and it promises reward without significant effort. It tells us that things will be okay. We can relax and let our stresses evaporate because it's not going to be as hard as we thought. When things are easy, we can be calm and measured in our approach to the world. We can be polite and friendly to the people around us, and we can think clearly about what we have to do next. Easy is my favorite difficulty level when I play a new video game. (laughs) When I'm not having my eggs sunny side up, I like them over easy. I don't even really know what over easy means in that context, but I'll order them that way at a diner because it sounds like it will be good. Easy is an aspirational word to me. It's something I think I want, something I long for life to be, but it's often more of a hope than a realization. I take it easy when I can, I strive to be at ease in a changing world, and I work towards goals that I hope will make tomorrow easier than today. Excellent. (laughs) Come a long way from butt. I know, I I, I do like how it sort of... (laughs) It circled around a bit, yeah. Start with butt. Ended with <laughs> Start with Biblio. 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 So, unfortunately, that's all the time we have this month. Thank you so much, dear readers, for joining us. Our next book is The Sisters Brothers by Patrick DeWitt. Get in on the conversation by finding us on Facebook or emailing us at wpl podcast at winnipeg.ca. Have a book you'd like to hear us discuss? Let us know. We'd love it if you hit subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcast service. We'd love it even more if you were to give us a rate and review. Tell your book-loving friends about us, too. And until next time, make sure you find... Time Time to read. Read! Surveying mm-hmm. the genre, uh, oh, yeah. African American detective fiction. I have no idea what it says. I imagine awesome. it, it would give us some insightful in comments. Notes. But yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, five pages here are probably really good stuff that would make us all look super intelligent. But you know what? Mm. You I could would... put it. Just mention it in the like read alike section, and then we can. Uh, um, yeah, sure. We can put it in the show notes. Okay. Okay. And just maybe. say if you're interested in. Yeah. Oh, I printed it twice. That's why it looks so long. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's two pages. <laughs> <laughs> but I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. Couldn't bring myself it's to read it. Time. <laughs> I could probably read it right now if you guys do it in five minutes. But, uh, it's fine.